Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts. Have you ever thought to yourself, I'd really love to learn how to make something creative like a game, a YouTube channel or even report on the news? Well, you should have a look at what is off on offer at Murdoch University. They'll give you all the skills you need to hit the awesome creative goals that you're aiming for. Keen to learn more? You can have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts or you can just go search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name's Fiona and tonight joining me is my co-host Mitch. How are you going today? It's been forever since I've been on one of these. It has. I'm back. You're back. I'm not just relegated to playing games on stream. I'm now on (laughs) one of these. And it's our first show as host. It is. So we're very excited. Yep. And then also joining us this week is Matt Trobiani. He's the developer of an indie smash hit, Hacknet, and he's from South Australia's Team Fractal Alligator. He's, he's, he's back with a new local multiplayer game called Wrestle Dunk Sports. Uh, how are you going? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. So, Mitch, what else are we talking about tonight? Yeah, so if you were in, if you were to name one of the very biggest franchise series in video games, you'd probably be hard-pressed to find one as big as Pokemon. But with that comes a lot of expectations from players who have been catching them all since they were babies. Well, there have been huge expectations around Pokemon Sword and Shield, and the fan base has basically gone to war against itself. We'll break it down for you if you manage to miss it. Cool, all right, let's get started. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. And if you don't think we're the best, um, <laughs> prove us wrong. So Pokemon is huge. Many of us grew up playing the series of games, and it's had a profound impact on so many people. For years and years, people have been wanting a home console version of the main Pokemon series, leading back as far as the Nintendo 64 era. Well... That dream is coming to reality tomorrow with the release of Pokemon Sword and Shield for the Nintendo Switch, the first mainline series game excluding the recent remakes with Let's Go Eevee and Pikachu, and it's the first time it will be played on a big screen. But the problem with dreams is that they all often don't match up with the reality and p- players' expectations have a huge um, players expect a lot of huge things for the debut. And when the games don't meet their really high expectations, they often get quite upset and annoyed and they mob the internet with their complaints. So we're going to explain the most recent internet internet con- controversy around the game that will absolutely completely sell out tomorrow. 
Yeah, so it started off with the national Pokedex being removed. Um, that means that older, older Pokemon will not be available, nor can they be imported. Um, less than half of the 800-plus Pokemon uh, that used to be able to be found in the games. Um, after a response from fans about the national decks not being included and uh, death threats to Game Freak employees... Um, there has been a hashtag called Thank You Game Freak that trended and individuals shared their own positive messages to Game Freak in light of morale reportedly being quite low mm. um, amongst the developers of the game. Um, players have been criticizing the reuse of art and animations from previous games. Uh, comparisons have been made and been drawn to older game models uh, from the series. Um, players have been complain- complaining that moves and abilities and features have been removed, including global the global trade service. Uh, that's the online trading service where you would exchange Pokemon. And uh, the global hashtag campaign has now come out in support of Game Freak. Yeah, that is the thanks Game Freak. And it is pretty much against the other hashtag Game Freak lied, which is pretty much the accusatory mm. version of that. And uh, I-, I can't imagine it's I can't imagine it's fun to be a Game Freak uh, developer at the moment. Um, Matt, what are some of your thoughts on on this whole situation? I mean, I have so many thoughts on this. Uh, like, First of all, it's really hard to make video games. Video games are really big. <laughs> they take a long time to make. And I don't know, I think I'm just, I'm so upset, like, seeing the, you can't reuse an animation or a model. Like, you know how many Pokemon there are? Uh, anyway, like, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta sort out my thoughts on this before you get me going too hard on it. It, it, it does seem like the, removing the national decks had to happen at some point, right? Like they'd keep making more Pokemon. They can't have an infinite number of models in the game. Had to happen. I think uh, with with the internet now, people now have more of an understanding about how games are created than ever. But still, they don't get exactly what it's like to Mm. be in those studios working on them um i remember a couple of years ago when horizon zero dawn came out there was a there was a uh comparison made between a technique called frustum culling and i apologize if i pronounced that wrong it's where the game only renders what the character is looking at it's essentially a big cone of vision uh goes around and uh, there's like there was a very famous gif and um when i saw that gif i was like wow that's amazing i thought they were showing off render distance it's showing Mm. like i thought that was always how games worked and then, mm. But then a lot of people misunderstood that and saying, oh, they're taking shortcuts. It's not rendering the whole game. And I was like, <laughs> but I thought that's how every game worked. Yeah. I thought that that makes total sense to me. Why would you bother rendering something behind you? And uh, But yeah. I, I completely, and like I took the, uh, the GIF a little bit out of context because I thought, oh, I thought they were just, I thought all that was explaining was render distance. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, it yeah, just, I uh, think uh, with people learning more about... Um, like how games are made and how the whole process works from the internet, as you were saying, I think it makes them fall even harder into the Dunning-Kruger effect where it means they overestimate how much they know about it a lot. Uh, Like exactly what you're talking about is actually like, it's an amazing technical accomplishment, what they're doing in that GIF. Like it's, it's very much the opposite of lazy where like a game that looks that good couldn't possibly exist or run on any hardware if it wasn't doing that like that that's a technique that because you never see it on your screen it's a technique that lets them get away with doing so much more than they otherwise could it's like it's so clearly the opposite of lazy it took a lot of work to implement that it's much easier just to like throw the gpu a whole bunch of like you know stuff to render and just be like i'll render all of it and you know i'll just put the stuff on the screen of whatever my camera's pointing at like that's a lot easier than doing all of this like culling and 
like changing in like shadow density levels. Uh, and those are concessions that are made to make the game actually run. Um, and people really, I think, with learning just a small amount more, have vastly overestimated how much they understand about the whole process. And it's just having terrible effects for game developers that are just trying to make good games. Um, and people are talking a lot about the legacy of Pokemon, and part of the legacy um, is are those 800-plus um, um, Pokemon that you could interact with and, and could be part of your team. And uh, I think is is the term of uh, we're starting to we're starting to move into a time where games now have these legacies, and I think how developers uh, like address those legacies is going to become a big deal. And I think this is this is going to be part of the issue. I think Pokemon is probably going to set the standard now for the way um, developers deal with big legacies. And I think one of the issues as well that came from the original, the beginning of them not including the national decks. Uh, it was said that the reason, one of the reasons why they decided to drop the national decks to help cull back, like we said, over 800 Pokemon so they could have more time to focus on building the new models from scratch and things like that. And since then, people have actually gone in to have managed to actually find some data from either leaks or game part of the game that's come out, and they've actually found that they're just taking models from previous games and just porting that over. So that's... Part of the reason why there has also been such a big backlash because they've said one thing, but according to people who have looked through data on the internet, it's found another thing, which I think where that Game Freak Clyde hashtag came from. Right. Uh, what, what, yeah. Uh, what, uh, sorry, go on. No, go on, go on Matt. You, you're all good. Uh, I, I think um, I think that like a lot of people might missed all the details that are required in this like they've got the whole dynamax gigantamax thing mm. which i'll talk about in a minute i think the real issue here is how excellent gigantamax pikachu is and i think more people should be talking about that he's a good boy <laughs> but um yeah like if you have the national decks you got to understand that you'd have to make the dynamax versions for all of them as well mm. and then the gigantamax versions for all of them as well it's not just like one model one animation you got to like have all these other models all these other animations you got to make sure they work with like all the different modes and that sort of thing just really quickly becomes like unsustainable and then you also have all like the the attack uh special effects for each different yeah. type of attack and then all the the sprite models too it's just endless so, i mean there's a huge amount of work involved i think everyone is like Making games is hard. There's a lot to do. Uh, and I think, like, no one's played the game yet. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> that, that, like, is the, <laughs> that is the main sticking point for me. I kind of get the... I, I actually kind of understand the emotional place where people are coming from. Like, the, mm. the Pokedex is not... like the, It's a big part of the game, but the tagline of the games is gotta catch them all. Like, I, I kind... Yeah. And I kind of empathize with the idea that uh, why people are like this. But, I mean, it, it, it just... Ugh, uh, the the way people are going about it online is just make me want to go and pre-order the game out of spite, even though I don't have a Nintendo Switch. Um, so I Matt, mean, I look, I, yeah, I get it, I get it, but um, um do you think yeah, this sorry. is actually representative of the actual player base? Oh, absolutely not. No, like <laughs> this sort of thing is always a really loud minority. Like I don't think many people like how many people play Pokemon. It's got to be. It's got to be a lot. Like tens, tens of millions, <laughs> hundreds of millions. Who knows? Lots of people, people play Pokemon. That don't consider people that don't consider uh, 
people that don't consider themselves gamers play Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, and in Pokemon rules. Yeah. Um, and I don't think any of those people, like, in, like, a, any statistical majority or statistically relevant amount really care. But, yeah, like, the, the morale thing's, like, very real. I think, like, even on a small scale, like, a lot of people said really nice stuff about Hacknet, but it would just, like, wash over me so quickly compared to, like, how much the bad stuff stuck with me. Um, so... I think a few really loud, really angry voices can do a lot of damage. So thanks for watching Pixel Sift. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the new Pokemon Sword and Shield game and all the expectations placed on the game leading up to its release. So we actually have some tweets uh, from oh, the, people. The tweets are a goldmine. Both uh, thanks Game Freak and Game Freak Lied. Um, there was one now Game Freak Light is trending because contrary to what they said about making Pokemon Sword and Shield models from scratch, it's revealed they reuse many 3DS models animations. This just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? And then we have a supportive one saying people really are out there like Pokemon just lost its magic to me after this generation. It's called growing up. Just Google it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I don't like, even though that one is like, is support of Game Freak, and I, I still think that's a real toxic way of looking at it. Yeah. Like, I don't like that response. Yeah. I'm not worried about either of those. Yeah, that, and that is, and those are the more civil mm. tweets that we found about this topic. Um, there were not insane. many that we could, that we could quote. Uh, they put that Pikachu in this game. What do you have to complain about? <laughs> I, they put that, that sheep as dope, yep. uh, Wooloo. I'm yeah. excited for Yampa, yeah. the little corgi dog. That's where it's <laughs> yeah. at. Yeah, so if you put Great Grey Wolf Sylph directly from Dark Souls into a Pokemon, <laughs> it's so good. And another one where the shield is its head, that doesn't make any sense. I love that one. Yep. I think um, um, there was one, uh, there, was, there was a tweet which I, I think I forgot to include. It was like one of the best tweets, but it was like um, it, it perf- the names of the Pokemon games perfectly encompass the, uh, the uh, attitudes toward it. Like some people are defending it and some people are attacking it. So. Yeah, I don't know. There's a. It's all a bit of a mess. To be honest, I've seen some of the like the screenshots people have taken uh, of the environments that have been made public. There were like an clip from some video, and I'm like, yeah, that was in your promotional materials, and that looks pretty bad. Uh, I don't know. There's some of the ways they've designed the environments in the game. They've got some scenes which are really good, and other stuff that lets you get really close to it that I'm not wild about. I, I get it. The thing is, I I feel like Pokemon has never been known for its graphical fidelity. Right. Like, I mean, like yeah. Pokemon, or its environments, at or all. its environments. Like this is all new stuff that mm. people are complaining about. Like mm. Pokemon's it used to never be been 2D, known, like yeah, 2D it, pixels. It used to be sprites. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, that being said, they did just blow it so far out of the park with. Uh, uh, Breath of the Wild, that everyone's right. like, why don't yeah. you do that for every game? And, like, mm-hmm. they're different teams. Like, and, like, yeah, Breath of the Wild looks incredible and does run on the Switch and it all works and, like, yeah, it would be sweet to have Pokemon in that. But, like, not everyone can do that. Mm. Like, it's uh, it's pretty tough. So, like, I sympathize. And I, even though I'm in the same boat, I'm like, yeah, that would be, that'd be pretty sweet. Like, I would really like that. It's a... Uh, you don't have to buy it. You don't have to buy it if you don't like it. Just that's. I guess that's what I'd say. Like, mm. it's fine if you don't like it. You just don't. You just don't need to buy it. 
Yeah, so I'm going to correct, like- uh, before we jump into our next topic, I just got to correct my quote. So it's from Dan for uh, Dan for- Fornance on Twitter. Uh, so now I know why it's called Pokemon Sword and Shield. It's because half the internet is attacking it and half the internet is defending it. Yeah, that's a pretty good tweet. I'd yeah. like that tweet. Yeah. That's a good place to leave it. So why don't we jump right into the next topic? You're listening to Pixelsift. Or you might be watching Pixelsift on Twitch. Pixelsift. So today we're joined by Matt Trobiani from Team Fractal Alligator, and he's here to tell us all about their new game, WrestleDunk Sports. So for everyone not familiar, what is WrestleDunk Sports? Cool. It's uh, like a two to eight player party game. It's coming out on Switch. Um, it's pretty simple to get into. It's all designed to be like very approachable. Like if you don't play games much or uh, you like, just want something that's like very easy to like jump into very quickly or to hand a controller to someone. Um, there are four different sports and they're all designed with that approachability in mind, but to also have like a real fighting game style, like level of depth and metagame to them. So a lot of work's gone into designing them to be like very pure and simple to pick up with like the minimum number of like buttons and things to learn, but to very quickly get you into like a competitive sort of mind game style, like, uh, like match. Um, so we got wrestling, we got fencing, we got volleyball and smash ball. Um, yeah, they're all like different sports, very quick to jump between them, like really good online stuff. And yeah, it's just uh, supports like all the controllers, all 60 FPS all the time. Um, and I, I really wanted when I was designing it to make something that was both very approachable and very like pure in its like satisfyingness, if that makes sense. So how do you how do you accom- like how do you accomplish that um, in in terms of game design like how do you make it satisfying to play like the that kind of that kind of feedback stuff? Yeah, so that's that's like a massive task, and like there's a lot that goes into like finding out how to do that and executing it. Um, actually, like trying to answer that question really really well was pretty much one of the main reasons I wanted to make this game because like after Hacknet, which was not very traditionally mechanical. Uh, as a normal game, I really wanted to sort of master like game feel stuff. And this was sort of a study piece on that. Um, and I don't know, I'm thinking, thinking of doing like a, like a GDC or a GCAP talk on like all the stuff I learned on trying to make it feel good. But there are a couple of fundamentals that I really want to focus on. The first was having uh, all of the buttons. When you press a button, it does something snappy and gives you feedback on it. Uh, immediately like on frame uh, and making sure all of your inputs go in like on frame like as quickly as you can possibly get that data into a computer um, and have it like within that same 16 milliseconds show up on the screen so uh, stuff like that to make it snappy uh, a lot of focus on how the camera moves uh, Rosadunk's kind of like fixed camera side on but there's so much camera movement even in that uh, a lot of it's very subtle um, there's a lot of work that went into like camera shakes uh and like the particle effects um other other like details like there's so much to this and you go like down in details and really get into like how it works um a lot of the the satisfying feel is making it so that players never feel like they put an input in and it did nothing um so there's always a response to all inputs all inputs like if you swing to hit a ball in volleyball 
um, that actually gives you your your hitbox actually extends well into your body, so you can actually swing late. But you can also swing early, where after pressing the button, you have like a handful of frames. I think it's like three or four frames where um, if the ball has come into range to hit it, then the game will act as if you hit it that five frames later. So it'll still work for like it essentially gives you a little window where if you try and do something, you'll pretty much always do it, which makes the controls much more expressive in intent rather than like just mechanical precision uh and that's uh really about trying to make it so that the game is more about uh the decisions you make like you outplay someone because you outthought their move not because they pressed the button and their button worked and yours didn't that always um, i mean i could talk me. about game <laughs> yeah I was, I was gonna say that always amazes me like listening like talking to you about like all the thought and the process that you put into just the really, really finer, finer details. Was that really difficult <clears throat> trying to get it? So like you were saying that as soon as they press a button, there's an immediate uh, reaction on screen. And so it's like an immediate thing. Um, it's complicated to answer that. I mean, the, the short answer is yes. Um, but the real answer is like, it's not difficult to do that. If you just like start up a new game project, you can make that happen very easily. Um, the difficulty is in keeping it throughout the entire development process, like never compromising on it. Because um, there are like some effects you can add that like make all of your stuff render a frame late. Or if you write your input system in a certain way, um, you can make it so that your button effects, uh, like your actual input doesn't come in uh, until the frame after, which is like what happens in some networking stuff. Um, some of your particle effects, if they don't have um, like an effect that pre-warm, like, like a smaller effect that, spikes out first and the main effect plays like behind it um the when the frame when you press the button the effect won't actually be visible because it'll be like behind the player and then it'll only be visible a couple of frames later um it's it's hard to just not lose it and to to keep your focus on it uh throughout the duration of making a whole like shippable game um but it's not that hard to do it in the first place so it's kind of it's kind of weird now, you were also selected, um, your game was also selected this year at PAX's Indie Showcase section. What was it like being one of the selected games? Uh, so, it was pretty special to me this year. Um, I've actually been there before. Uh, Hacknet, my last game, was selected into the PAX Showcase you were well. also a secret, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the reason I was a secret. Uh, my marketing materials just weren't done in time. So I was like, oh, just, just make it a secret. Um, don't tell anyone. Um, uh, yeah, so it was really special to me this year. Um, so, all right, so it's kind of a long answer to this, but when I'm in development, I, I assume this happens to everyone and nobody talks about it, but this definitely happens to me, that I go like up and down on how I feel about a project's like all the time and usually it's over the course of like a couple of weeks where like i don't know one week of a month i'll be like i'm the greatest game developer of all time this game is going to make a trillion dollars and everyone's going to love it it's the best and then like two weeks will go by and then i'll have a week where i'm like this is trash and i should throw it all away and work on something else i'm wasting my time and like it has no attachment to the actual quality of the game it's just you lose lucidity so hard that you have no idea what you're working on and you just go up and down how well you think it's going to do how good you think the game is it's it's hard to you know really have like a good objective view on the quality of what you're making uh, and i feel like as the pressure rises um or you get closer to deadlines that period collapses and it, it gets shorter and shorter so that you might feel like good about it at the start of the day and terrible about it at the end um 
And uh, I don't know, it, it's been very challenging trying to follow up Hacknet with something. And WrestleDunk's such a huge departure that, like the like the Pokemon controversy, right? On a much smaller scale, obviously. Like, there are a lot of people that really like that game and are really excited to see something else like it that I'd make. And I didn't want to let them down by, you know, making something that's so deliberately unlike it. But that was the choice that I made. So I was worried. And uh, there was a bit of that coming into the announcement, uh, announcement of what I was working on. And I was also in like a bit of a low on the project where I, like I knew the deadline where I needed to announce it was coming up. But I just, I just wasn't feeling that good about it. And like, not because the game was bad, but just because I was in like one of the lows. Um, I was just feeling a bit lost on the whole project. Um, and when I was just like right at that moment, I got the news that um, I was in the showcase again. And getting that news for the first time with Hacknet was, I think, like a really big t- turning point in my like life and my career and um, was a really big sign of great things to come. And to have the same, I guess, like honor again in my next game, especially one that I was like feeling so shaky about, was really important to me. So. Yeah, being in the showcase this year was particularly good. So thanks for watching Pixel Sif. If you just uh, joined, we're talking to Matt Trobiani from South Australia's Team Fractal Alligator about their new local multiplayer game, WrestleDunk Sports. Ooh, now, online you- too. Oh, online too. There we are. Now, you mentioned uh, Hacknet a bit just before, and that was a single-player narrative experience, which was very, very successful. successful. How does it feel to be working on this game now? um like really scary (laughs) um it's it's complicated uh i really love hackman i'm super proud of what i did with that game um uh but i i feel like i was stagnating a bit as a designer um like and i was worried that if i made like another hacknetty game i'd never get good at these things that i really wanted to be good at which was all the game feel stuff that i was talking about before um because i want to make like other games too i feel like i have like more to do um i also feel like making a like another game like hacknet wasn't something i could do i was really burnt out on it so i needed something super different uh, and i decided on this because of like a whole bunch of reasons and uh but now now it's like it's kind of scary because it is so different and uh like i think it's like i was so lucky to do as well as i did with hacknet but the number of indie devs that I know of that have just picked a totally wildly different genre and style and everything and found success again is like very small. So I don't know. I'm trying my best. Uh, we got some questions from the, uh, the uh, chat. Uh, so this one's from yeah. uh, Spider Bemb. Uh, hey, we- Spider. Spider's the moderator in the Hagner Discord. Oh, nice. Extremely cool and nice. How's it going, Spider? Welcome to the chat. Um, so uh, they asked, can we expect a story mode in WrestleDunk? You cannot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, they, they also... Know, I, like, I wanted to be very, very focused in how I designed this game. I try to be very focused in all my games. Like, I don't want to make something that's got, like... Oh, it's got, like, a every kind of mode, and it, it suits every kind of player. No, like, this game is very specifically just for this one case, and I try to be very good at solving that one problem. I'm not going to try doing anything else. So no single player. And uh, Spider Bemmed, Bemmed. Sorry, I've, I'm pronouncing that name. But um, just call him Spider. Spider. Can we also customize little rectangle characters? Oh yeah, you can. Oh, nice. Got a little outfit <laughs> button. Um, 
you you can change the colors and you can change what they're wearing. Sorry, I just bought my mic. Um, you change what they're wearing. Um, there's a little button in the lobby. You can press your little bumpers. I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it yet. Maybe you can like unlock new outfit sets by playing a bunch. Maybe they'll all be there at the start. I don't know. There's a bunch of funny ones there. Um, I've just asked my artist to do a whole like formal wear series and a bunch of like tuxedos <laughs> and stuff. While you're at it, can you do a pixel you got, sift if shirt? If you got any ideas, just tweet them at me. I'll include them. It'll be good. Can you do a pixel sift shirt? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'll think about it. Yeah. It's, uh, I w- I'm trying to make them all symmetrical because yeah. I flip them around a lot. But um, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to think about it. That's a good it. point. Just, just make them yellow. Maybe, we'll we'll just pretend locus. it's pixel sift. Yeah, yeah. Just make them yellow. Yeah. Maybe I should make... Mm, maybe we should make like if you enter like a little pass code on the controller you can get like secret ones and i'll give them to like streamers and stuff oh my god and you could like you we could have that. your little and then you could tell them you could unlock the shirt of like oh all right hold on somebody write that down Send it to me. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll write it down or you can just listen to the episode yeah right? that sounds fun all right i thought of it here if i do that <laughs> i'll do the pixel sniff one it'll be good yeah maybe that'll be fun um so um, so there are a lot of a lot of um, the kind of couch co-op online multiplayer games um, mm-hmm. um, on the market right now. What have what have you done particularly uh, to Wrestle Dunk to make it stand out? So that's like a really big and really hard problem, um, and a lot of my approach to entering the market like that is like built on like two things. So one, you need like a big angle to get uh, like in on it, and like just an angle into the market. Um, and mine's going to be just that it's like sort of like the pack of four games and they're all going to have like very good game feel and like very complete polish. So I'm going to go in with the four games angle and then past that, I just want to make sure that I get all of the fundamentals really good and really right. So uh, just like day one, excellent multiplayer support, uh, all controller support, um, like fully localized into everywhere it's going going to need to go. Um, like all 60 FPS all the time, all the games actually being like good and polished and like fun with a variety of numbers of players and then just doing the marketing property uh, properly. I think those are like fundamentals which you can put kind of separately to your like gimmicks. And my one gimmick I wanted to do was just make it a pack of four smaller, more like tightly designed games um, that all have their own appeal. So I'm not just like, it's not just, and they all have like different maps and things. So we've got like proper like variety in the screenshots and uh, and all that sort of thing. But the big like gimmick angle is going to be the pack of four. I don't like games that get like too gimmicky. Um, yeah, so very strong fundamentals coming into the market as pack of four games, and then we've got some like marketing tricks up our sleeve to get it going. But uh, past that, it's just going to ride off of how good the games actually end up being. I well, think. Would you potentially include more little games like further on, depending on what the reception is towards them? Yeah, totally. So um, it's possible. I, I don't want to make any plans that mm. are too like too detailed. Like there are some games that I'd like to make, and like if the game does really well, and like I decide to do it like a DLC or something, um, it'd be fun to do a whole pack of top-down sports. But that'd require a big rework of the characters to work top-down as well, right? But um. I think uh, handling like post-launch stuff, it's tricky. I think what I really, I mean, my strategy is that I just want to listen to the players. And I'll have a Discord and stuff and just be like playing with people and talking with people. I kind of want to do once it releases, 
just a like a developer plays like once every fortnight or something um and just have it so that i'll just be joining like like random queues and just like hopping into people's sections and you play a bunch of games against the developers and that's where i'll talk to the community and have like a big connection like discord or something that sort of thing would be good so my like post-launch plan about how to grow the game and like if to add more sports or how to rebalance or anything like that is just going to be based on like listening to the community and um, like growing it based on that not making too many assumptions beforehand like right now i'm just planning on making the game like a complete package when it ships like it won't be missing anything i'm not like planning anything and holding it back for later like i'm i'm just trying to make it as complete and whole as it is now and then uh just listen to the community to grow it uh after launch um has the game been designed with expansion in mind not really like the the code base is for sure but i think that's sort of how you should code anything uh where it would be pretty easy to like add new sports like the multiplayer code is sport independent um so it it shouldn't be too bad to to add new sports later if i decide to um but there's nothing like missing from the experience now we have an oh we have another question from Spider in the chat, and he said, besides coming out on Nintendo Switch, in the future, can the game be expected on any other platforms like PlayStation, Xbox, and PC? Uh, I really want to. None of them are confirmed yet, but it's pretty likely that it'll at least be on PC and hopefully Xbox and PlayStation later. But uh, I'm not 100% sure, so don't hold to it too strictly. Well, I think the natural home for the game is on the Switch, though. And I'm very excited that it, it's coming to the Switch because it means I can sit down and play with my friends because they all have Switches as well. Yeah, it's so good. I really want to get the the weird local Bluetooth thing where you connect all of your Switches. To your, do you do that? Does anyone do that? I have not done that. We just connect no. the controllers to one Switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Because it's a real hassle to get that going. But um, that would be neat too. I'm not sure. That's what they do in all the ads. It looks like a good time. <laughs> uh, um yeah, but um, definitely having it work with like all the controllers and like in that way, I think is just so good. And that's like how I want to design the game first. And I'll like I'll do ports later. But I want to have like really nice HD Rumble. HD Rumble is the best feature ever. It's so good. <laughs> you know, you can like they've got a a tool that lets you turn sounds into Rumble, and it like Rumble matches the waveform of the sounds. It's wild. Now that's really so cool. Good. I do appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I'm just gonna like put in all the sound effects and make rumbles to all the sound effects and then just tune them from there. It's going to be good. You should try and do some sound effects so it makes a code and then that code unlocks <laughs> and you're out of it. That's, that's some <laughs> very deeply obs- very obscure stuff you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to feel about it. Oh, consider it. Well, unlocking, you- unlocking weird outfits is good though. That is a good one. <laughs> Now, if you're keen to check out WrestleDunk Sports, you can find it on uh, the website at WrestleDunk.com or you can go to Twitter at WrestleDunkGame or follow Matt on Twitter. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but it's spelled it's o- just, I just read it out. I don't know. It was my old Warcraft <laughs> name. There you go. Now you know where it comes from. It's uh, O-R-A-N-N, Oren. There you are. But thank you so much, Matt, for joining us this afternoon, telling us all about your your game. It's really exciting. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. That's right. And well, that's all about we have time for today. So thank you for watching or listening to episode 135 of Pixel Sift. Now, this show has been hosted by myself and Mitch. Thanks for joining me again tonight, Mitch. Not a problem. Been a pleasure. 
And Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Island, Fiona Bartholomeus, Mitch Lowe, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. And we wouldn't have been able to make 135 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. So go and check them out and tell them that we sent you. And then if you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, you can go to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. That again was murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And then as always, we'll be sticking links to topics we talked about in the show notes on our website, www.pixelsift.com.au. And uh, you can also come join us on Discord um, if the, if you have that. Um, we have what's available at pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord where you can share your creative work, talk about the topics and the games we've covered on the show and everything else. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like what we do, can I ask a favor? We need your help to share the show and tell a friend and subscribe your brothers and sisters to the show just on anything they have that's available on all your favorite podcast services. Um, and start someone's journey into podcasts because we know that getting started is tricky. But once you're in, you'll love it. Now, our next, next episode will be on the 28th of November. But if you join us this time next week on the 21st, it will be Pixel Sift Plays, where we play some of the indie games that feature on our show. Like I said, that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. (laughs) 